Hi, this is Doug Bear with Splunk. I've got to tell you, the Big Data Beard Podcast, with a name like that, how can you not listen? Can't wait to tune in. You are now listening to the Big Data Beard. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. get splunky what do you say let's do it all right so hey everybody this is Corey minton with the big data beard and i am joined today by my good buddy brett brett how you doing doing well excited for this man so am i well i think everybody on our in our audience knows that we are pretty big fans of splunk and i'm excited that today we have josh clark from splunk josh is the vp of product management for splunk core products josh welcome to the big data beard Thanks. It's uh, great to be here. So uh, obviously in our fandom of Splunk, we keep an eye on what's going on in your social media pages, what Splunk marketing and socials talking about. And I keep seeing uh, with all these announcements, I keep seeing this term that you guys are using called dark data. Can you tell me a little bit about what Splunk means when they say dark data and what that means to Splunk and your customers? Yeah, I guess uh, you can kind of imagine dark data being all of the data that's generated somewhere within your enterprise that uh, that's tough to see. Um, it's it's stored away somewhere. It's sitting in server logs. Uh, it's network data that, you know, gets stored and, and overpassed or bypassed somewhere. And, and the idea behind dark data is, and for those of you who know Splunk, um, that's really what Splunk is really good at looking at, is how do you understand what's happening in that dark data? Um, and more specifically, how do you create value from what's happening in that dark data? And so our study was really just looking at, you know, are people familiar with the term? And, and if so, um, how much of the data in their enterprise do they think would they categorize as being dark? Mm -hmm. So in your role, tell us a little, bit about, a little bit about what a VP of product management for Splunk Core products does on a daily basis. Oh, man, it's a busy day. Um, but essentially, you know, what what I look at and what our team looks at, looks at are really what are the core platform capabilities that our customers need, whether it's in IT or security or business analytics. Um, what does our platform need to do to support those customers as they kind of pursue their quest to uh, ingest, analyze, and then ultimately take action on both dark data and, and visible data? And so that includes things like how do we make uh, data ingestion easier? Um, how do we scale to larger volumes of data? Um, how do we provide the interfaces that both technical and business users need to consume that data and ultimately, you know, drive value and make make good business decisions? Nice. Well, Splunk had some pretty big announcements today. Uh, tell me a little bit about what the, the announcements were and, and what they're covering. Yeah. So today we announced the release of Splunk Enterprise 7.3. Uh, which is essentially the the core Splunk platform. Um, and we also, as part of that, uh, announced uh, a release of our machine learning toolkit, which is increasingly getting lots of adoption and lots of traction in our customers, uh, machine learning toolkit 4.3. Uh, and this, in this release, we're covering kind of a broad range of capabilities, uh, things we're exciting about, starting with some new capabilities around uh, data onboarding. I talked about data ingest being something we really pay a lot of attention to. Uh, in 7.0, we, we created a framework for guided data onboarding, which is how do you actually take a user step-by-step step through adding a new data source. Uh, and in 7.3, 
we've added uh, 10 new data sources, uh, all specific. They're all AWS data sources, but that's one of the kind of increasing areas of demand that we're seeing from customers is how do I get my cloud data into Splunk Enterprise? Nice. Now, when I read through the notes, I saw that there were a couple of uh, really, and this is maybe for the Splunk nerds out there, but a couple other features I want to I want to dig in on that were big deals in 7.3. So one of them I saw was this thing called Smart Store. Now, that that wasn't new in 7.3. That was announced at SplunkConf uh, this past year. But what is, what's, what's new with Smart Store and the 7.3 to re- uh, release? So there's, uh, I would say, uh, some minor enhancements related to fine-grained data retention. So you can be a little bit more controlled around uh, specific indices and the retention policies for those indices from a Smart Store perspective. Uh, so there's you know increased manageability of smart store but the the big enhancements uh, and this is especially of interest to our enterprise security customers are that smart store now supports um, accelerated data sets uh, and report acceleration as well. Uh, so those are used extensively in enterprise security, as well as, you know, customers that are using Splunk for more uh, analytic capabilities. With that support, you can now, you know, bring a bunch more use cases into a smart store deployment. Nice. Well, for those that don't know, can you give me the the elevator pitch on what smart store is and what problem you're trying to solve with that functionality? Yeah, the at the macro level, smart store is really separating out compute from storage. Um, and the benefit there to a Splunk customer is that you can now use an S3 compatible storage substrate to store warm data. You can still search that data, uh, but you don't have to scale out your your index cluster just to add more data storage. And so from a TCO perspective, um, this is really a significant uh, set of savings for our customers. In our early deployments of Smart Store, we're seeing customers that have reduced their storage costs by, uh, you know, 70 to 80%. So just really some great numbers there from a TCO perspective. Uh, it also really helps with things like uh, manageability. So as you scale out and you may need to essentially rebalance your data, uh, the data that's sitting in Smart Store doesn't need to be rebalanced. So, uh, you know, scaling out your indexers um, uh, takes a lot less time than it would historically. So obviously this is a very big shift and Smart Store itself is a big shift from how Splunk traditionally addressed architecture. Can you just talk a little bit more about some of the differences between the traditional Splunk architecture with hot, warm, cold, and frozen and Smart Store today? Yes. Uh, I mean, the main, the main difference there is that you can now uh, have your warm storage uh, sitting off of an indexer and in an S3 uh, compatible storage substrate um, so that you, you're really no longer needing to scale that uh, that indexing compute um, as you as your storage requirements scale uh, and then smart store will be will be smart funny enough about if it sees data that is sitting in that s3 compatible storage substrate that's getting queried off uh, often we will bring that data back into essentially the hot location on the indexers to improve storage performance and then we'll manage that over time so we'll evacuate it if needed uh, but it essentially is this decoupling of compute and storage which in any large distributed system delivers really nice economies for the customer nice so saving money that's that's clearly a good thing yes. now is this does this work for uh, is this just a cloud thing, or is this work for customers who have deployed Splunk on premises? Is it like is it both or not? Or so, not? excuse me. <laughs> yes, uh, in our uh, we've been using Smart Store uh, for 
over a year now, actually, in our cloud stack. And it's something that is, for our cloud customers, it's actually abstracted from them. They're not aware of kind of what elements of their deployment are using SmartStore or not. With 7. When we announced it at .conf last year, that's when SmartStore became available for all of the on-premise customers as well. Nice. So some of the other capabilities we saw was this concept of uh, workload management. So workload management has a lot of different contexts for a lot of different people, but what does workload management mean to Splunk in this release? Yes. So another another big announcement that we had at .conf at last year was that uh, we have added basically support for the creation of resource queues. So some combination of CPU and memory that could be allocated to different workloads. So an example might be, I want to uh, ensure that a, por- a portion of the capacity in my cluster is allocated for uh, index indexing. Um, and I want, when I'm doing indexing of data and I'm, I'm doing heavy load, um, I don't want that to interfere with potential ser- uh, ad hoc searches that I'm running. So this workload management at its at its most basic is allowing me to identify a set of users or jobs uh, and what queue that they get access to based on, on the queries they're running. And that helps us isolate and protect certain resource queues to deliver SLAs um, for different classes of users and different classes of jobs that are running. So I'm gonna, I want to ask about metrics because I, I keep – we've had um, Bill Emmett and other folks on to talk about metrics because I know they were big announcements at Waitomo two years ago at Conf. But I saw some notes about uh, metrics here in, uh, in 7.3. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, so um, metrics uh, has been something we've seen. And you mentioned Waitomo, which is kind of the Splunk Insights for Infrastructure, kind of basic uh, – infrastructure metric data collection and visualization. Um, so the metrics workspace, which has historically shipped as a, an add-on app that you can get from Splunk Base, um, now ships uh, embedded within uh, within Splunk Enterprise and within the search and reporting app. There's a metrics tab that you can navigate to uh, and you can get that metrics visualization and analytics experience kind of out of the box uh, by just inst- installing Splunk Enterprise. So there's so one of the things that is announced with 7.3 um, is that that packaging change that metrics is just there out of the box. The other thing we've added with 7.3 are a few new metrics types. So we've got counters, uh, which is you know, instead of just looking at uh, average CPU utilization or disk space left, a counter metric will within a period of time actually keep counting how many times an event has occurred. Um, and so that was one of the things that didn't exist before 7.3, but it was one of the most requested metric types for our customers. So we've added uh, counter support in 7.3. Uh, we've also added the concept of a roll-up. Uh, so the, a roll-up will allow you to take a metric and aggregate it against one of the dimensions for that metric. And so from a performance perspective, that delivers uh, much better performance for certain use cases that we were seeing with metrics. Nice. Yeah. So I'm curious on the, you know, as you look at all the announcements there and not, we'll get to MLTK in a minute, but in all the announcements for 7.3, which one are you like most excited about in terms of the platform? Well, if you're going to present, prevent me from mentioning MLTK, which we'll talk about in a second. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I really, I think that some of the stuff that's happened, um, I, well, I can't pick a favorite. So I have to say, 
enterprise security support for smart store with support for data model accelerations, I think is, is a really big one. Um, that had been kind of one of the most asked things since we launched smart store was, Hey, when can I run ES uh, and smart store at the same time? Um, in workload management, uh, what we've added is a lot in 7.3, a lot more fine, fine grain controls. So you could, for example, create a, a resource queue that says for users that are in this group, maybe they're my security users who are querying this index, uh, you can condition a lot of hierarchical, hierarchical conditions together to give each user and group and use case a specific resource allocation. So the, the controls are much more fine grained. And what we're seeing in our larger deployments is like the breadth of use cases that customers need to manage uh, just wasn't satisfied by the initial release of workload management. So the, the level of policy control is just much richer. And we think for our larger deployments, it's just going to really help customers out a lot. All right. So I don't want to stop you anymore. Machine <laughs> learning toolkit. Before we get into the updates, I don't think enough people know what machine learning toolkit is in Splunk. Would you take just a few seconds or a few minutes and tell us what is the machine learning toolkit? Then we can get to some of the big updates because I know there's some exciting stuff here. You bet. So, and and I, by by the way, I agree with your assessment and, you know, I have made it one of my missions for this year is to really make sure that uh, the market understands how differentiated uh, machine learning is within the Splunk platform. Um, so m machine learning toolkit is really, I'll, I'll characterize it as two separate components. The first is backend infrastructure and runtimes for running machine learning algorithms. Uh, so Splunk Enterprise ships with, uh, uh, or MLTK, our machine learning toolkit, when you install it. It brings with it a uh, Python for scientific computing runtime that has a bunch of machine learning algorithms. And you can access these machine learning algorithms in line with a traditional SPL query. And there are two important commands. The first is fit, which is essentially a model building command. So you can write an SPL query to prepare a data set. And you can say, I want to fit this uh, model using this algorithm to this objective metric. Uh, and what happens in the background is machine learning toolkit will uh, build a machine learning model based on the training set that you passed it using your SPL query. The next function that uh, machine learning toolkit ex exposes in, in SPL is the apply function. And apply says, okay, now that you've built the model, I want to either go apply that model to score historical data, or maybe I've got new data that's flowing in and I want to apply that model to new data as it flows in. Um, and so it's a very... A traditional machine learning workflow with a data platform and a data scientist looks very different. And the way it works is the data scientist goes to the person who owns the platform. They say, hey, generate me this data set. They ship that data set over to the data scientist who's using some other set of tooling to build their model. And then they have to figure out how do I take the model that the machine learning data scientist built and put it back into my production environment. And with MLTK, uh, it's really an inline experience with the data and our, what we're seeing with customers and what we think is that that's a, it's a really differentiated experience to do kind of inline, uh, machine learning model building and, and application on the data without having to move it back and forth between systems. Yeah. That's, that's the fundamental reason why I made that statement early on was I don't think pe enough people know about it. When, when we think about machine learning and the data science process, one of the biggest challenges we hear from people, you know, working on these projects in a variety of ways is, man, it's really hard to get the data organized in a way into a single platform where I can then go 
you know, run my models against it. Data scientists spend a ton of time just going through that, you know, data ingestion, data cleansing, exploration to where they finally get to build models. So I, that's when I agree with like having that platform. But you're saying that you can actually with MLTK, you can actually take somebody who knows things like Python, like if you're building models in Python, you can actually have that execute and Splunk. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Oh, that's and you can, and we've also built uh, connectors to third party runtimes as well. Uh, so you can, if, if you want, you can, uh, use TensorFlow, um, or you can use uh, our connector with Spark to run, uh, build, uh, models in those environments as well. And, and your point about the data prep is exactly like if you think about the, the people out there who really know how to use Splunk, what they're doing is they're like, they're, they've become really good at data prep on top of machine data. And so what we're, what we're enabling them to do with MLTK is become what we call kind of the citizen data scientist. How can I kind of now take those data prep skills and bring machine, machine learning into the mix, um, and do things like anomaly detection or, or metric prediction, um, kind of using the skills I already have within, within Splunk. So a huge fan of the machine learning toolkit. Uh, I'm glad to see that it's the year of MLTK and that we're going to make it even more widespread to everybody. But I think we've kept our listeners waiting long enough. So what's new with 4.3? So with 4.3, the the big thing that we're showcasing, and there will be a series of these that come out in uh, in, in 4.4 and 4.5 as well, uh, are what we're calling smart assistants. Um, and what we've launched uh, with 4.3 is a smart forecasting assistant. And this actually is the other half of MLTK, which is the the user experience component of it. Um, and if you think about the way machine learning, the workflow of machine learning uh, works, is there's kind of a data preparation stage, there's a model training phase, there's a model deployment phase, and then there's ongoing model management. Is the model working? Are different versions of my model, you know, version A, version B, version C, which gives the best uh, predictive outcomes? Um, do I need to retrain my model as new data comes in? What these smart assistants do is they actually walk the user through step by step in a visual way. Uh, give me the training set for the data. Pick the metrics you want to predict. Pick the holdback f- period for model building. Um, generate and evaluate model performance, and then ongoing model management around how often do I want to retrain the model? Um, how many different versions do I want to compare? Um, how, what are my metrics for figuring out if a model is good or bad? All of these uh, capabilities are now built into these, these smart assistants that essentially walk that, that Splunk user who wants to build a machine learning model through the entire process uh, and the entire workflow of being a data scientist. But it's not just that they, you know, they understand kind of the process. You're actually giving them the ability to take somebody who maybe is a good Splunk, you know, kind of power user and actually empower them with some in, some machine learning tools that are typically kind of hard to deploy. Is that, it's, is that kind of the idea? It brings it to more people? That's exactly right. It's, it's how do we bring um, kind of more people into doing a kind of a, a first-class or world-class model building and model management experience. Um, and it like I like the way you characterize it, you know, someone who might be good at Splunk but maybe not great at machine learning. I would characterize myself as that. So I have MLTK 4.3 up and running on my in my own personal test environment, and I've been going through and building models that predict what my uh, my uh, laptop CPU utilization is going to look like. Um, and it's actually – it's. It one is it's very easy, and two it actually it, it works really well. Uh, 
So it's a it's a really really nice experience. And if I'm if I'm correct, a lot of the a lot of the premier applications you guys publish, like enterprise security and ITSI, those applications are actually powered by some of this machine learning capability under the covers, right? That is right. And that's actually one of the things that has been kind of important to us from a strategic perspective is um, both providing the kind of the citizen data scientist capabilities um, to someone who's using Splunk Enterprise, but also ensuring that those capabilities are built into our prepackaged solution. So ITSI has a set of predictive service health scores that are powered by MLTK. And what our customers like is they get the out-of-the-box out of capabilities that come with ITSI, but they can also take and modify and enhance those models um, by punching out of the pre-built capabilities into machine learning toolkit for maybe things that are specific to their own data sets or their own environments. So they, they like the pre-built nature of it, but they like the way that they can also easily flow into kind of an ad hoc environment with MLTK in the background. Can you give us a customer story of how they're using MLTK? So one of that we, uh, we showcase a lot is um, uh, BMW. Uh, BMW uh, collects a huge amount of data around uh, um, for as uh, they have a, they have like a smart car fleet in, uh, in Germany where they actually, you know, you can rent a car and you can drive it around and drop it off. Uh, and um, what they do is they are trying to figure out what do patterns look like from a traffic perspective and a distribution perspective, and where do they need to make sure they have their fleet? And they actually are using MLTK to predict traffic and uh, traffic outages. Um, you know, when are people going to get stuck? Uh, what does that mean from a fleet distribution perspective? And so they're using Splunk along with MLTK to kind of predict what future traffic patterns look like and making sure that they're making the appropriate supply decisions uh, for their fleet around the city. That's awesome. We always love to hear how people are actually using it in real life. It's one thing to have tech for tech, but uh, to actually have people using it, it's awesome. There was a couple of Splunk Next sort of related announcements, and I just want to make sure we highlight those because they came out towards the end of April, but we haven't had a chance to talk with anybody from Splunk about them, and they were kind of cool. So there was this this one called Splunk Connected Experiences um, yes. and Splunk Business Flow. So would you would you take a minute and just tell us like what is Splunk Connected Experiences and what's the motivation behind that project? You you bet. Um uh, with connected experiences, we're really thinking about uh, what, how do we continue to enable uh, Splunk insights and Splunk uh, knowledge to become distributed to the widest possible set of users within the enterprise. And while there are a set of users that will access Splunk by sitting at their desktop and looking at dashboards on their laptop or writing SPL queries, there's a broad set of users, um, both maybe non-traditional Splunk users at the executive level or the business management level, as well as Splunk users who are maybe out in the field and need access to that Splunk data, but they're not sitting in front of their laptop. And so connected experiences is figuring out what are the other modalities that people will want to access Splunk data. And what we announced uh, as part of the GA of the first set of connected experiences is uh, a Splunk mobile application that basically delivers alerts and dashboards on both uh, an iPhone as well as Apple Watch. And so what you can do is you can, you can subscribe to a set of alerts and a set of dashboards, and you can access those in kind of a first-class um, mobile experience on your, on your iPhone. And it's really interesting that 
consumer behavior as manifested in the enterprise is very, very interesting to me. I have the Splunk app running on my phone and it hel- I, I have it connected to a, a set of internal dashboards where we're looking at kind of anonymized customer, tel- customer telemetry. Uh, what does usage look like? How many searches were there? How many petabytes of data do we have under, under management? And I find myself, now that I have that at my fingertips, um, I can easily sit in a meeting and ask a question like, well, you know, what did user growth look like last month? And it's it's right there on my mobile phone. And so I find myself accessing that mobile phone data, you know, five or ten times a day. And and that's our goal with connected experiences is really how do we enable uh, users to continue to get access to that data when they need it uh, at their fingertips. The, the other thing that we launched as part of uh, the first set of connected experiences is an augmented reality app. And this is really kind of, you can view it as a combination of the digital world and the, and the physical world at the same time with the augmented reality app allows you to do either using an NFC tag, a QR code, um, or a, uh, a barcode scan. You can associate those. Uh, and also we have some geofencing. You can associate those codes, uh, with data that sits in a, um, in a Splunk system. So, for example, we have got a customer right now that has asset tags on all of the servers that are in their data center. They can take the augmented reality app. They can scan that asset tag. And what we will do is overlay Splunk metrics visually uh, on that rack, and we will show them all of the stats for the servers that are on that particular rack so that they can visually see, you know, in context, which of the servers that's in that rack is having the CPU that's maxed out or the temperature gauge that's 150 degrees. Yeah, I think the the augmented reality piece of it, well, combined with mobile, I think it's one of those when I watch Splunk, you've, you've, the, the, the platform has obviously grown, um, but the use case orientation has gotten stronger. And I feel like things like augmented reality are a, a perfect use case for, you know, those folks that are trying to get uh, data into the hands of those operational technologists out in the field that are, you know, de- dealing with industrial assets. I just, the, yes. the future there, I think is really cool. And I, I, I candidly, that's one of the things that we're going to be deploying in our, my, my little lab is the Splunk augmented reality app. I want to have some fun with yeah. that. But the other group that you're starting to engage in this, that's the Splunk business flow was really, how do you get, you know, more people within the enterprise that maybe don't know SPL engaged? Tell us a little bit about, a little bit about Splunk business flow. That's right. Yeah. So uh, Splunk Business Flow is really kind of a visual way of of stringing together Splunk events uh, to try to represent either some kind of a business process or a flow of an entity through a system. Uh, so an example might be, and we've got uh, one of our early customers is an insurance company that's looking at what is a uh, what does the online process look like for a customer that wants to submit a claim and then ultimately follow up on the claim, check the status, gets explanation of benefits. Maybe they want to call the call. They, they file a customer support request after that. Business flow allows the customer to actually visually see how many customers went through each step of that flow. What was the time of between each one of those steps? And are there certain steps where they're really slowing down the overall process? Uh, so it's a it's a visual way of representing how things are flowing through a system, and there's a lot in it, and it requires no SPL. The user can sit there and they can interact with the flow. They can select a node in that flow, like maybe it's a you know the claim was adjudicated and then reopened. You can zero in and say, okay, I want to look at only the events that went through that particular path, and maybe I want to look at the attributes. You know, who was the claims adjuster? Uh, who was the provider? 
um, what was the claim type and are there certain attributes that are kind of in, you know, leading to this either desirable uh, or undesirable path in my business flow. So it's a, a really nice visual interactive way of inter interacting with Splunk data in a way that I think has, has typically been hard. Uh, you know, Splunk is hugely powerful. As, as you guys know, you can ask any question of it, uh, but you need to have some level of, of training on how to appro uh, appropriately construct the queries. And business flow is, is allowing you to, you know, we're constructing the queries on your behalf by allowing you to visually interact with that flow data. So we're about eight months into Splunk Next. That, that was announced uh, last conf. What's next for Splunk Next? What's next for Splunk Next? Good question. I love that, by um, the way. What's next for Splunk Next? It yes. just rolls off the tongue. Well, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we'll talk about, uh, you know, up upcoming is Splunk Now because all of the next things have become the now. Uh, and that's really been a big focus for us. Um is uh, working with customers, whether it's data fabric search, uh, which is the ability to to do multi-tenant as well as high cardinality search uh, within Splunk for our, our data stream processor, our kind of really a first-class stream processing engine. Um, we are very actively uh, working with with our beta customers right now. Uh, since .conf, when we announced them, we've been uh, we've been running these beta programs, doing scale testing, getting functional feedback. Uh, and so we're really excited about launching those uh, later this year and, and driving adoption there. Um, we're also continuing to make significant investments in, if, if you recall, at .conf, we talked about uh, our investment in our next generation uh, cloud capabilities and the Splunk developer cloud. Um, so you'll, you'll be hearing a lot from us. Uh, we've been making a lot of progress. Uh, running betas there. So at, at NextConf, we'll be talking a little bit more about kind of what the, the next set of uh, SaaS native capabilities looks like there. That's awesome. I, I'm already counting down the days to the NextConf. So, <laughs> Me uh, too. <laughs> absolutely. But where can folks learn more about the announcements made both 7.3 and then back in April? And also, where can they go to start, you know, download and start playing with this awesome technology? There's a blog on the 7.3 release that provides kind of more detailed write-ups of some of the capabilities I talked about. As of the release today, the, the bits are now available for download on, on Splunk.com uh, to get the latest, latest Splunk Enterprise as well as the latest uh, MLTK is available on Splunk Base. Nice. Well, I know uh, folks are going to be excited to take advantage of all of the innovation your team is driving. And frankly, I'm excited to go download 7.3 today and get playing. But I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk about the fact that we are only about five months away from SplunkConf. Now, that's Splunk's annual user conference that takes place this year in October out in Las Vegas. Um, for those that haven't been to SplunkConf, um, Tell the, the audience why SplunkConf is so darn cool and why they just have to be there. Oh, my gosh. I, I can like uh, I'm I can't wait for it as well. Uh, last year was my first uh, my first conf. Uh, so that was super exciting for me. What what I found to be most exciting about it is just like the energy from Splunk users and Splunk partners. This is really like a coming together of people who. I think our they they love the product as much as we do. They get value from the product every day, and the amount of sharing and interaction in terms of uh, learning from your fellow Splunkers, um, getting to meet the product teams uh, that are working on the next generation of capabilities, um, and kind of interacting 
and seeing all of the the cool stuff that other people are doing with Splunk is just it's super inv- uh, exciting and invigorating. Um, just kind of the community aspect of it, uh, like I found it to be like just very very energizing. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I've I think this year will be my maybe my seventh conf. And uh, I, every year it gets better and more awesome. As you said, the community gets more vibrant and engaged. So big fan. That is happening October 21st through the 24th at the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas. And you can register at conf.splunk.com. Well, Josh, it's been super fun to chat with you today about all the announcements from 7.3 and frankly, some of the great innovations that Splunk is driving across the platform uh, over the last few months. And I know there's going to be some more exciting stuff ahead as we look forward to Conf. But I want to shift gears here and I want to have a little fun in a section that we call Rapid Fire. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Josh, what is the latest book that you've read that you'd recommend to our listeners? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I have to admit I am not a huge business book reader. What I find is uh, usually if I get past the first chapter, I've, I feel like I've gotten the gist of, of business books. So I'm more of a, more of a fiction reader. My current favorite author is a guy named Anthony Doerr. Uh, and, um, the book that I, the book that I read by him most recently is called all the light we cannot see. And it is my favorite book of all time. Wow, that's a strong endorsement. <laughs> yes, I, it really is. It's uh, like like I've never done this before. I finished the book, and I was so upset to have finished it that I read it again. That's awesome. Like Actually, right I, after. I, I agree good. with your assessment, though, what you said about business books. It makes me insane whenever you – like you said, you get through a first chapter, you're kind of invested in it, and you're like, oh – this dude's going to droll on about yes. the same thing over and over. I'm a huge fan of the, um, there's like a Git abstract uh, site where it gives you like the two page PDF summary of business books. That's the only way I'll read a business book nowadays. <laughs> well, I like that. It's, is it called Git abstract? Yeah, it's called gitabstract.com. And we're not, we're not like sponsored or anything. I just, it's one I of like those it. that I love where it, like all the latest business books, they'll give you like a two page summary. And I'm not kidding. I went back and looked at like the summary of books that I read and I'm like, Man, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all they said. <laughs> I love so, it. All right. So I am going to track that down. All right. So when you're at, conf or at another conference and you walk on stage, what music, what song would you choose to be your walk-on so- song? Wow. These are, these are really hard questions. Uh, they're clearly things I've never thought about. The thing that comes to mind is uh, I played high school basketball and um, – the song that we came out to and like when we came running out of the locker room and onto the floor was welcome to the Thunderdome. And so that, that that's what comes to mind. I like it. Um, are we going to hear that at conf this year? I I, I hadn't thought about it until just now, but maybe you will <laughs> look out for it. Yeah. So what piece of technology is currently making your life worse? Wow. Uh, email. Oh, Join, join the club. I know. That's an easy target, isn't it? It's a burning trash fire. That's all it is. It really is. It is. Uh, I think email, I think the like probably the easiest target is Slack. I actually like Slack because uh, I, I think I'm, I, I do well with 
slightly asynchronous communication, but email is, yeah. it's almost too, it gets backed up. And, and like what happens to me is things fall below the fold and I never follow up. And it's just like, there, it's a, it's this bad combination of too many important things get communicated in email. Um, but the follow up is often missing. And so I think that's a, that's like a, a mismatch, an impedance mismatch. Delete it all. All right. So what is your biggest personal money pit right now? <laughs> There's a lot of dudes around Splunk that have really good car habits. I know that. Oh my goodness. Uh, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to answer this question, but I will. Um, so, uh, my my wonderful wife, who is like honestly my hero, she started a a nonprofit twenty years ago, and this is a, it's a nonprofit that uh, goes into under resourced communities, uh, and it's a high school program that teaches uh, high school kids. It basically teaches them entrepreneur entrepreneurship as an elective class, uh, and slowly at, through the process of teaching them entrepreneurship gives them a better sense of self-identity, uh, gives them academic skills, and ultimately the program gets them into college. So just like a fantastic program. She grew it into a national program. Um, but in the process, she worked really, really hard for 20 years. Uh, mm-hmm. And she just retired. Retired. She just stepped down as CEO from this uh, organization that re- she runs, which is called Build. I'll give it a plug. You can find it on build.org. Um, but as a result, she has a lot of time on her hands and, uh, the time that she has on her hands seems to be spent shopping for things, either like dog toys for the new dog that we got or new pillows for the, for the couch. I, I, like I, I came in one day and there were like 50 pillows on our living room couch that she had bought, uh, because apparently we need a lot of pillows. So my money pit right now is that she has too much time on her hands uh, to go shopping. When she starts buying pillows for the dog, that's when you need to uh, take the step Oh, yes. Back. We, right. we have several of those. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. So moving on, what show are you currently binging on right now? Oh, yeah, I think I'm probably the only person in the world that has not watched Game of Thrones. Um, my and, and actually, I have, I, have avoided, I have avoided all TV binging and what i like my what i watch or i watch the warriors i'm a, a warriors basketball fan and so that's a good thing to be right now um and then i subsequently watch sports center after i watch the warriors game because i want to watch highlights of the game that i just watched so those are like th- th- those are my tv vices well they're looking good right now and then lastly where's the next interesting place that you're going to travel to uh this summer we are doing a family trip to south africa so that is a pretty, I think that's going to be a pretty amazing trip, a combination. We're going to um, Johannesburg, uh, Soweto, uh, Cape Town, doing a safari. Um, and so I, I, that will be uh, probably a, like a, you know, a, a bucket list experience for us. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm a huge fan of travel and taking the family with you. So have fun. And uh, I tell you what, Josh, it's been really cool to hear from you about the announcements Splunk made today and over the last few months. Um, where can folks find you on social media? What are your preferred platforms? So I, uh, let's see, I I happen to be on Instagram as well as Twitter under J Klar, J-K-L-A-A-H-R. Um, but you will find that I am uh, not a prolific social media person. It's all good, man. <laughs> well, as long as you continue to be prolific in the innovation that you're driving at Splunk, I think everybody will be okay with it. Josh, thanks again for joining us on the Big Data Beard podcast. Thanks, guys. A uh, lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. 
The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. 